Hey, this is Kate. Welcome to Two Pastors, Survive the Pandemic, and Make a Podcast. This is Yolando, and as always, we're talking about what is astonishing us, what we're thinking about, and what we're preaching during this pandemic. So what is astonishing you, my friend? I am astonished by the reality that this Sunday will be the first time in the 2,000-year history of the church that we will be celebrating a digital Easter. Uh, I know that there have been churches for many years that have live streamed their services, but it seems like this is the first year that churches everywhere will have to do something online, um, live stream or pre-recorded. And I think what is astonishing me about that reality is the gift of simplicity in it. It seems that we are, I don't want to say the word forced, but that's the best word I have. We're, we're almost forced to leave behind the trappings, the, the new clothes, the baskets, the eggs, all, of, all those, tra- even our regular buildings and services, focus on the empty tomb the resurrection of Jesus. And I am not just astonished by that, but really I'm delighting in it. I'm, it feels very refreshing to me. It doesn't feel, when, when we first started this quarantine, I didn't think much about Easter about a week or so in, I thought "Mm, we might be back before Easter. And then after that week, I thought, Ooh, what are we going to do about Easter? And I wasn't worried about it, but it it did cause me some concern. But in this moment, I feel that what we're facing this Sunday is just really, really refreshing. And it's a gift. It's more gift and not a threat as I thought it would be. Yeah, I mean, I think it's almost like medicine because I think it's so easy, especially for pastors, to sort of start thinking that the the product of the gospel is church. And I mean, it's not, it's disciples. And of course, disciples make up the body of Christ and the body of Christ is the church. But I mean, the church exists, it gathers, it ministers in order that people might come alive in Christ. And as a, you know, everything we do, we do as a sign of the way of Jesus and, and, to share the message of the gospel, not just in words, but in, you know, life together. And all of that is so that people can find second birth in, in Jesus. And so I think, you know, being able to be forced to say, okay, well, we can't, we can't do that in the same way that we always have done it, but the ways that we've done it, they haven't been bad, but they, they're not, you know, they're not essential. And, and it Mm. makes you think like, I mean, the when the church spread like wildfire through the world um, without any of, you know, in a, and I'm not talking like in an imperial colonial, you know, um, crusading kind of way, but in the early church, when it was spreading like wildfire, it didn't have institutions and people were distant and people's primary community were the people that they lived with 
whether that be their household or whether they had to leave their household and gather in other places. And so I think, you know, for us to just recognize that this is a loss and I'm not downplaying that, but also, I mean, for a high school teacher, uncharted territory, for a doctor, uncharted territory, for a disciple of Jesus Christ, not uncharted territory. This is not uncharted territory. So it's okay to be scared. It's okay to be confused, but we have to recognize that we can still be the church in a time like this. In fact, we can especially be the church in a time like this. And if what we are experts at doing, um, if what we're experts at doing can't be done right now, then, I mean, it's good to just lean into the question of what does that mean? Because, um, like I saw some really interesting thing on Facebook, like, you know, this group that I'm a part of where pastors are thinking about zoom worship and, and it was just a, a meme. And someone said like, well, you know, when you're separated from your congregation and you don't feel like producing a worship video, another option is just to write super long emo letters about the faith to your people. After mm. all, that's what Paul did. And it's, <laughs> I mean, it's just true. And I'm, I'm for taking advantage of the technological tools that we have. I mean, I am trying to at the Grove. I mean, but I also just think it's helpful for us to remember that, you know, the spirit is not limited by our limitations and the spirit is like the wind and we don't know where it's blowing. We've never controlled it anyway. And so I don't know. I mean, I think it will be really, um, it can be really wonderful for us to see in this time how little we limit God when all we want is what God wants, then to sort of discover our own powerlessness to control can be just a really um, life-giving discovery. So yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I, I, and in fact, I got an opportunity to write something for our local paper that's going to come out online on Friday and in print on Sunday, just about like why you shouldn't be in church this Sunday and why you don't need to be in church this Sunday. And so Yeah, I'm thinking about that too. Well, I'll tell you what is astonishing me. Um, We are doing grab-and-go meals here at the church, which is amazing. We have a a member of our community who coordinates our after-school program and had already been working with an organization to get some help with the food. We feed kids in our after-school program. And so then when this happened, she immediately was able to work with them to become a, a site where people can come and pick up meals um, for their kids. And, um, we are working with this organization that partners with the federal government. And so mm-hmm. what they are bringing us to give to kids, um, I mean, it's, it's all a gift. And so I'm super grateful for it, but it is like a sandwich, a carton of milk, two pieces of fruit and a breakfast bar. And that is, that's supposed to be breakfast and lunch for one day. And so, I mean, again, people are grateful to get whatever they can. And it's not a lot. I mean, any of us who have stomachs and or children, we know that's actually not a lot of food. And so we, um, just different people in the community had been, um, sending us, um, just snacks and things. And then we had put the word out to say like, Hey, this is what we're receiving essentially through the this organization we're receiving from the federal government, this, and this is how we want to supplement it. Like we'd like to, you know, be able to put some snacks in there for kids. And we'd like to be able to put like a, you know, a tuna packet or like a, um, you know, a little box of Kraft macaroni and cheese or whatever. And, and if anybody wants to help us 
do that, um, we'd be really grateful. And oh my gosh, like people have been sharing it through their social media and um I just I'm I'm it's it's really overwhelming to see people respond to the chance to um feed a child in this moment and just like we're just getting boxes and boxes of food that we are turning around and breaking I mean like because we're feeding between like 50 and 75 kids a day um so I mean it's everything we get is getting back out there again but I just I mean I was just looking at that and thinking like I don't want to I just I just want to have eyes to see how beautiful and holy and sacred this response is in a time of this disruption which I think reveals so clearly how broken so many of the systems and institutions in our culture is and how are how they are so broken and how there is no safety net and how vulnerable so many people are um that I just also am blown away by um just people who you know are are just get this chance to help someone like I put it on my social media page and maybe it's someone I knew 10 years ago from the other side of the country that is going on Amazon and ordering, you know, goldfish packets to be shown. And it's just, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. And everything is so broken. And the sin of us people is so visible in these days. And also I just want to stop and be astonished and marvel at the beauty of people trying to come together and say, you know, I want to make sure kids aren't hungry. I don't want to take that for granted. I, I don't want to say that makes everything okay because it doesn't. Um, but I don't want to take it for granted. It's just really beautiful. So that is what is astonishing me. So are most of the donations coming from um, outside of your congregation? What's the percentage? Do you know? Well, so up till now, it's it's been a lot of donations from people in our congregation. Um, and then um, and in another organization that's local that does, um, partners with us and some other things. Um, but I mean, this moment of just sharing that farther, I mean, just making it visible because I think a lot of times we do things and, and people don't know that we're doing them. And so, I mean, again, this technology is a great tool that you can post something and, and say, and somebody, you know, in like my husband's, aunt in Arizona can see it and go on Amazon and say, you know, I can buy $30 worth of tuna packets and send it over there. And so that, I mean, it's just really, it's really powerful um, and beautiful. And I, and I think, you know, the food matters in and of itself because bodies matter, but I also just think it's so important that in a moment like this, families with kids who are overwhelmed by just job loss and life disruption and fear of what might happen, um, can pull up to a church and, you know, somebody can come out to their car and say, how many kids do you have? And then come back and say, you know, here's, you know, here's three bags of food that is like, you know, eight meals. And, and that really matters. Um, because it's a way of saying like, we see you, we love you, we honor you, you're, you're not alone. So 
that is what is astonishing me. Oh, that's fantastic. Wow. It is really, well, it's just, people are, <laughs> people are beautiful and I'm really, I'm really grateful. They're just really humbled and grateful. So it has been soothing balm to my soul. Yeah. <laughs> so, wow. so, uh, so what are you thinking about? Well, um, <clears throat> something uh, fairly similar to what you were just talking about, you know, what's been on my mind lately, you know, is that, you know, when, when this crisis started, my first thought was, how are we going to take care of Sunday morning? And to my surprise, you know, because we, we were not live streaming, we were not recording anything in terms of video, we were doing um, an audio podcast, but that was about it. Um, we were not even doing online giving. And so when this, when this pandemic hit, you know, my first thought was, well, how are we going to take care of Sunday morning? And we landed in the area of pre-recorded services that we upload on Saturday night for people on Sunday morning and kind of settled into that fairly quickly. Then the second question that came to my mind was, well, how are we going to take care of our people? And very naturally, because we're a smaller church, there's already this network of relationships and people call and, and take care of one another. And we've put in place um, a system in which elders um, call and check in with, um, with folks, especially the most vulnerable in our congregation. But now we're in the place of asking, how are we going to take care of our neighborhood? And um, we have been in a season before this pandemic of saying, okay, we are reintroducing our congregation to this community. And so we have for a year done things like walk through the neighborhood, knock on doors, giving away loaves of bread, saying that Jesus is the bread of life and praying for people. We, for a little over a year, about a year and a half now, we've done monthly community meals. But um, we're still in the place of asking, so what, what do we do now in this crisis? Because we are, we're not well connected. We, we've become one of those congregations that um, people drive past and they see us, but they don't see us, right? The, the mm -hmm. building just kind of has started to blend in to the uh, to the neighborhood blend into the scenery and so um we're scratching our heads a bit about okay so so what is god calling us to in this season uh to minister to to help to serve our community and so that's just what's on my mind right now and i don't have a lot of good answers we're just seeking what god might have us do but I think what what what's bounced around in my head is that I just need to start with um, maybe calling the guidance counselor at the local elementary school that's near us and say, hey, um, like you, how can we serve the children in the community? Because we do have a growing number of, of elementary age kids in our neighborhood. We've got a lot of elementary age kids in our neighborhood, and we were planning a summer camp, and we're not sure that's going to happen. And Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, we're just kind of in, in a bit of, um, uh, we're, we're just a bit disoriented in terms of how do we serve our community. Is the school next to you, are they doing grab-and-go meals? No. Okay. No. Yeah, because I think one thing that I've seen churches do, and um, what I think we're going to do a version of next week, is just having like some really simple um, art materials. I'm just sort of giving them to 
families for their kids, like just something that they could, you know, embroidery floss to make a friendship bracelet or mm-hmm. some little riddles or puzzles or a picture to color, just something. I just think people really crave connection and um, mm-hmm. it's a gesture. I mean, all it is is a gesture and gestures are powerful. So, I mean, I think that search is just a really, it's a really powerful search. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And I mean, you more than any pastor person I know are um, just astute and deep and wise. You're scaring in me. The power of prayer. Okay. You, I, I wasn't sure what was coming after that. Okay. No, but I mean, like, yes. I'm always like, hey, Energizer Bunny, let's go and like do this and do that and start this and do that. And you're always the one saying, like, hey, we primarily, you know, we operate in the spiritual realm. And so what we do, I mean, what we do is an expression is an extension of who we are. And so let's make sure we, you know, I mean, like, I think sometimes, and I'm so guilty of this and I'll just own it, that like you're thinking about what you do and you, and you want it to sincerely bless people. And that's real. And there's also just a part of you that wants it to be visible and wants it to be seen and not even necessarily for bad reasons, because you want to like, you know, you you want people to understand the church in a particular way so that it becomes a place where they might, you know, take a step and risk connecting the Lord of the church. But also, I mean, I think sometimes we neglect to do some of the, the deepest, most powerful spiritual work because it's invisible. Because if you all commit yourself to 10 days of prayer for you, for your neighborhood, no one's like, your neighbors aren't going to know. Um, but, but they'll be affected by it. I really believe that. And if we are a spiritual community and we don't believe in the power of our spiritual gifts, I mean, that's a problem. So, yeah, one of the ways I'm wired both as a follower of Jesus and a human being and as a leader is that um, my, my, my way of process, my way of discerning is, is a bit slower, uh, that I, I really have to have a sense that God has spoken like God has said, do this. And then once I have that clarity, then I am full steam ahead. Can't stop me. I'm good. It's getting to that place of discerning. It's like I need clarity. And, and the good in that is, you know, you're seeking the Lord and you should always do that. The, the downside <laughs> to that way is that uh, sometimes you can, you can, um, spend so much time seeking to discern that you, you might miss a moment. Um, and so I'm, I'm a little bit concerned about that, but um, I, I trust that we are, we're on the path that we're supposed to be on. And, uh, yeah. So I'm just kind of try. Well, and I mean, I think there's dangers. I mean, all the time in, I mean, you and I are wired really differently and there's advantages to being a leaper. <laughs> there's advantages yeah, yeah, to being yeah. Yeah. And, and I just think that the disadvantages of both of our ways are really visible in this extraordinary season. So yeah, <laughs> it's just, yeah. But I mean, I think that's the right question. And I guess like, let's just not rush by the fact that it really matters as leaders in our community that we're asking the right question in this season. And the right question is not, how are we going to survive? The right question Absolutely. is, how are we going to do ministry yeah. now yeah. in this moment? That's the right question. And I think sometimes 
I mean, asking the right question matters way more than how you get to a a faithful response. Because I mean, if all you're thinking about is your own survival, and I mean, I know a lot of churches are, and I think, you know, as humans, that's fair. But as, I mean, as churches, which are literally the body of Christ, we know that survival is Mm. not the goal. I mean, that's not the goal. Like, right, right laying down our lives in love for the sake of our communities in risk giving in risky ways, trusting that the Lord will use that gift in whatever way God wants to. And that if death is the result, that resurrection is the next step like that. That's, that's what we believe in. So we have to be able to institutionally live that out. Um, So one of the things I'm saying to myself is that, this moment is more than a moment, right? Correct. This is going to last. This is a Kairos moment for yeah. sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's chronological time of it is going to be long and that's kind of crazy. But I mean, the Kairos, the eschatological, to use a long, annoying word, but like the holy time of it is going to be even more powerful and transformative. And there is, I just think, an extreme gift in just how everything, I mean, it's just such an apocalyptic moment. It's such an uncovering moment where everybody is saying like the ways that I cope and numb and distract and, you know, feel control, all of these things. I don't know why everyone calls me while we're trying to do a live stream. (laughs) Sorry, all of these things have been taken away. Um, And what's left is, you know, ultimate reality and the interior life and, if that's cool for you, that's great. But if, if what you realize is, oh, I, I lack more than I knew I lacked, that is on the, initially super discouraging, um, but also like a gift to be like, well, great, now now I have time and I know where the well is um, and I know where the living water is and I can avail myself of it. And we as spiritual communities can be saying like, everything's not okay. And however you feel, that's not a sin. And um, we have a place to go to for for sight and for strength and for hope and for living water. So, yeah. Yeah. So what are you thinking about? Um, Well, I don't know if you noticed, but it's Holy Week. And I know. Yes. Imagine that. Um, So I've just been thinking all week about how, I mean, and not just this week, but mo- honestly, but mostly just this week, I feel like it's so strange. Our sense of time is so distorted that mm. on the one hand, every day seems to last for an eternity. And also it's not like I'm doing good, like forward thinking planning either. Like I can't think more than two or three days ahead of time. And so that's just a weird, a weird thing. But, um, so we are doing, um, our Monday Thursday is my favorite worship service of the whole year. Just, I love it so much. And, um, the way that we have Monday Thursday worship is a, a, is a service that I learned, um, from a woman who I, I served with in Boston. Her name's Alice Hageman. And she created this beautiful liturgy where everybody from the, everybody comes into the church and you don't go to the sanctuary, you go to the fellowship hall and there's just long tables set up like one long table, Mm. And everybody sits down at the table together and there's just platters of food on the table, really simple food, like, you know, pita and hummus and fruit and parboiled eggs. And, 
everybody, there's a blessing and you sit at the table and you share a meal together and like there's candlelight and it's dim and it's beautiful. And then people start standing up around the table and reading, reading the story of Jesus's last supper and, and John, and then reading the foot washing command. And then there's foot washing stations in the room and just kind of two by two people go and wash one another's feet and come back to the table. And then you read the next part of the story about the arrest. Um, and it's just the first time I went, I mean, it was just this incredibly, incredibly just, I don't even, I don't have a word. Like you say, beautiful, you could say powerful, but none of that. I just understood. I'd always seen those as separate stories, like the beauty of the upper room and then the betrayal and the failure of the garden and the arrest. And to all of a sudden experience them in one worship service, like that you just go from this moment of extraordinary beauty and promise and love straight into this moment of betrayal. And I, I I just, I mean, it just is the most, um, it's, it's the most formative service for me and of all the communities that I've been a part of. And so, um, it's always a big, big thing for us. Um, and we can't do it. I mean, we can't do it the way we normally do it this year, obviously. And so mm. we've just been thinking about what what does that mean? And what we decided to, to do is to send to everybody like, hey, here's how you set up a foot washing station in your, in your dining room. And here's how to set a table um, with your own, you know, and like everybody gather around your table at 630 um, you know, get to the live stream of the service and, um, we are going to have our worship service, but we'll be in different rooms. And instead of, you know, I mean, we are going to do this because the point isn't the service. The point isn't the beauty of the room. The point is the commandment. Um, the point is to, to experience Jesus washing your feet in the person of a brother or a sister in Christ and to wash someone else's feet like that, that is what it's about. And, and that is still accessible to us. And so I really like, I mean, just what you were saying before, like all of this has been really pushing me to think more and more about how, I mean, I, I love church we will always have Sunday morning church. We will always gather together as a community for worship, but we really need to decenter the church institution and recenter Jesus. And to say, of course, people can sit around table in their homes and wash one another's feet. And I mean, next year, will we come back and do it again in the church? Yeah. I mean, yes, we will God willing, but, this is, I mean, it's good. It's good. Um, and the same with tomorrow, Good Friday, um, we'll do communion again. And the same way we did on Sunday that, you know, we'll live stream it. So I'll be at the table and, um, you know, I'll do the words of institution, but we, you know, we've said to people, you know, have something to eat and have something to drink on your table. And, um, and it was interesting, a friend of mine, a friend of mine from college who was live streaming with us, said, I mean, she said, I, she texted me afterwards and she's like, I took communion with, um, a, um, a tortilla chip and a a glass of orange juice. Mm. And she said, I just, it just messed with me not to be 
in the space and not to have the bread in the cup and not, but she said it was like, I'm recognizing how much I loved the form of the thing hmm. and, and, and how hard it was for me to receive it in the form that is available to me. And hmm. she said, it's like, it's like, I'm re- realizing I've got scabs on my heart wow. and I wow. just, so, I mean, I think just what we've been saying all along, like, I mean, anything that's hard, if we invite Jesus to be in the middle of the hard with us, um, I mean, it's fine if our prayer is take it away, Jesus, or put it back the way it was, Jesus. Like, those are totally faithful prayers to pray. Um, but also a good prayer to pray is, but if not, <laughs> be in it with me, make it, make this beautiful. So um, that's, that's what I'm thinking about is just for, I, I think probably, you know, it's hard on my ego because it doesn't center, honestly, I mean, and I'm ashamed of this, but it's true, but like, it's hard on my ego because it doesn't center me as a pastor as much. Right. And I just realized like, as much as we pride ourselves on being Protestants and like, we don't see ourselves as priests or go betweens between people and God, I mean, we a lot of times function that way. Mm-hmm. And this is just really forcing us to go like, okay, well, are we basically going to communicate to people that their spiritual growth is on pause until they come, come back and be in the same physical room with us? Or are we going to be more honest about saying like, this is a moment to, to help people realize that we were never necessary to them and that we'll always be a friend and we'll always have ministry and we'll always have ways to bless and like share our lives and, and have like mutually mutual submission and interdependent lives in, in Christ honoring ways. But, um, but what we need is a relationship with the Holy spirit. And I do think it'll be like a, a ministry multiplying moment. And I don't, I think we should try really hard not to be scared of that, but to be, um, excited about that. And also, I mean, I don't want to be, again, like I don't want to be tone deaf to the very real suffering that is happening right now. Um, in, in no way do I think that that's good or irrelevant, but I also think if we're talking about just being church, um, that it's just important to note that I think there can be really, really powerful growth that comes out of this. I mean, and like, that's the lesson of Holy Week, something terrible, something deadly, something wrong and powerful and against us can be transformed by the love of God into the thing that saves us. Yeah. So that's what I'm thinking about. This- I was listening to a podcast yesterday and the point uh, the person was making was that the church should go where the people are, right? Mm-hmm. And if the people are online, the church should go online, not neglecting Sunday morning gatherings, but we really need to be more invested in where people are and know that that will cause some controversy and some tension, much like when the early church began to expand and Gentiles began to join the church, they had all those questions about, okay, do you have to become um, Jewish before you become a follower of Jesus? And the church wrestled with that, but ultimately said, no, we want to make it as simple, as easy as possible for people to follow Jesus. And I think when it comes to the church being online, this season especially is forcing us to wrestle with some of our um, institutional assumptions like how we do communion um, and ultimately land on the side of 
oh yes, it is ultimately about helping people know, love, and serve Jesus. Well, it's ultimately about like Nicodemus coming to Jesus at night and Jesus saying like, you have to be born again. And Nicodemus being like, what the bleep are you talking about? And Jesus is saying like, how can you be a teacher and not understand this? And then in talking about being born from above and it's like the wind and nobody knows when it's coming or where it's going. And like we, I mean, that's the heart of the tradition. I mean, that we as teachers of the chosen people now like need to understand just fundamentally that like what we do matters, but I mean, nothing worth doing happens through us. And so, I mean, we just need to like get deeper into our own weakness and God's strength. And, um, and also, I mean, just centering around this this morning, I mean, I love, again, I love Monday, Thursday, but I mean, it's really easy to love the service so much just to kind of miss the idea that like, oh, this is Jesus saying one command, one command, love one another as I have loved you. Like that is not the central thing that people know about Jesus. It's just not. Mm, mm. And so what does that mean? And I do Mm. feel like, you know, a lot of the places where we, you know, import the culture war into the church, I mean, that, I mean, whatever, we, we're going to always have disagreements and like sincere ways of, of not understanding what being most faithful looks like in particular, in particular situations. And I'm not discounting that, but I mean, if we're coming at it from the one command, (laughs) love one another as I love you, we're going to, navigate and negotiate those disagreements in much different ways and and see one another in much different ways and encounter and interact with people outside of our churches in much different ways so i mean i just think it's funny for as much as i will say oh i love this service so much i don't feel like i operate in it a lot during the rest of the years like really walking in every day and saying God, my one command today is love other people the way you loved me. Mm. So what what does that mean in terms of how I'm going to serve, how I'm going to teach, how I'm going to listen, how I'm going to receive people, how I'm going to handle disappointment? Yeah. So um, what people should know about me if they don't know me, IRL, is that I'm always walking around with a cell phone that's about to die. (laughs) (laughs) today is no different i got eight (laughs) percent we gotta wrap this up soon um so where are we now what are we preaching okay what are you preaching um since it's resurrection sunday uh one of the resurrection stories i think i'm gonna land in uh, mark um hey That is not what you said yesterday. I know it's not. Yes, we talked yesterday and I wasn't thinking, Mark, and um, I let you. And I convinced you. You did. You did. I started thinking about Mark. And early on in ministry, every year I went to Mark, like for the first decade, I went to Mark. And then I started preaching John and Luke in terms of resurrection. Um, And what I love about Mark is just that scene of the empty tomb just it's there that's the evidence and it's this probably wasn't mark's intent but it's as if mark says 
so so what what do you believe what where where are you mm-hmm. what what are you going to conclude at this empty tomb mm-hmm. yeah i mean i just i said to you yesterday i think every pastor in the world is going to preach mark this easter and i mean certainly it's the first easter i have ever wanted to preach mark but i do think um because i mean if you're not if you're not an irrelevant bible nerd like mark I mean, there is Mark chapter 16, but a lot of people think it was a later edition. And and I mean, it, the gospel really culminates not with the risen Lord, but with the empty tomb. And so I think for a lot of people this year, um, I mean, it just, it feels really relevant to be able to say, if you feel like you have no idea what's happening or what's coming next. And I mean, it seems like it's going to be bad, even worse. <laughs> Like, it seems like what was always hard got even harder. Like that empty tomb Easter Sunday is just really, um, I mean, really, obviously really relevant. And to be able to speak into that and say, hey, before you get new life, you get emptiness. Um, Yesterday, I was reading um, uh, a chapter in N.T. Wright's book, uh, The Resurrection and the Son of God. And oh, N.T. Wright, do you like him? Yeah. Have you heard of him? Have I mentioned him before? <laughs> and he, he was, he's writing about the gospel of Mark, the ending of Mark and the resurrection. But he does this thing with, um, you know, the, the women at the tomb and it kind of uh, ends with them afraid. And N.T. Wright traces this theme of fear through the gospel of Mark. He's like, look, this comes up over and over and over and over again. And every time fear comes up, there's something that happens that says or actually does relieve their fears. And so with this um, uh, place in Mark 16, you, you've got to think, your mind needs to go, oh, yeah, they, they are afraid in that moment, but something is coming to um, uh, reassure, and that is an appearance uh, the, the 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 certainty of the resurrection of Jesus that Mark did not intend to simply leave the reader with this idea of and they were afraid and that's it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm well, and I think I mean, I just think sometimes we rush straight past the fear, and I think I was telling you yesterday. I mean, it's one of my pet peeves when people get up on Easter Sunday and, and talk a lot about sin and death, because I'm like, Hey, today is the day we're celebrating the resurrection. But I also think now, I mean, I've always understood why they did it, but I, um, but I guess I just think, yeah, this is a year where we really need to name, name what's really broken and what's really terrifying and, and name what we're really, really afraid of. And then say, you know, even if you're not at the happily ever after mm-hmm. euphoric ending yet, um, you're still inside well, the resurrection story. In N.T. Wright questions why they are afraid. He says, imagine, <laughs> he's like, so if you are a reader of apocalyptic literature, you are accustomed to certain symbols like angels showing up. It's another thing to actually be in the presence of an angel. He said, imagine you're suddenly watching your favorite movie with your favorite actor or actress, and then you look over and they're actually sitting next to you. That's going to bring a certain level of fear. Um, and he says, that, that is what's happening to the women at the tomb. It's, 
they know the Jewish tradition. They know um, uh, apocalyptic story. They know the uh, Jewish tradition about resurrection in the last day. And suddenly they are, they realize it is a reality. And so that yeah. is the place of fear. It's not fear of the Romans. It's not fear of whatever, something else in the world. It's, it's a kind of, um, I don't know if I should call well, it fear of the Lord. Fear. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, and I, yeah, I think even sometimes what is when people experience extraordinarily good life changing news, it is it provokes the same kind of physiological crisis as mm -hmm. terrible news. It's just everything's going to change, like everything yeah. is going to change. Yes. And I think, you know. We ought to feel that kind of fear every Easter, honestly, if we're taking it seriously. If it's something other than a holiday celebrating spring, then what we are trying to absorb in that moment is that reality is is different. Like everything which, we thought we knew. Yeah, is, which explains why they leave in silence because they may be thinking, who is going to believe us? <laughs> well, and also like, what, how, what do I say? Like, I don't even, even if I can say what just happened, I don't even know what just happened. And I yeah. sure as hell don't know yeah. what it means. Yeah. Like, I, yeah. And I think, you know, a lot of times we, I mean, we talk about this all the time. Like we treat Jesus as like the spiritual Red Bull that's going to let us, you know, have wings. Like we're going to do everything that we wanted to do anyway, but now we're going to do it a little quicker and like, whatever, like backwards and in heels. Like it's just going to be like a vitamin B12 shot so that we can live our best lives now. And that's not, that's not the gospel. The gospel yeah. is like, if there's no death, if there's a, if there's a way to be reconciled to God from sin, if we now have the power to repent and live a totally new life, like, what does that mean? Yeah. Like, everything is now on the table as about to be being different. And it just, it's, it's an assault on all of your senses and on yeah. your whole understanding of reality. Yeah. And that's not comfortable. Yeah. I don't want to so. rush you, but I'm concerned your phone might go out. <laughs> yeah. I'm on 4%. So we should just say bye. Okay. <laughs> My phone is about to die, but there is resurrection. So um, thank you for listening to this podcast. And we are really glad to be making it, which we're mainly just making because we love doing it. So thank you for listening so that it doesn't feel like a total self-indulgence. Um, you should definitely, definitely, definitely listen to Yolando's messages in general and his Easter Sunday message in particular. Um, you can find it deride at church podcast on the Podbean website. You can find um, messages from the Grove um, on iTunes, search for the Grove Church podcast. Um, I'm going to check out his church, Google deride church, Charlotte, North Carolina. Check out the Grove, thegrovecharlotte.org. Interestingly, we're both going to preach the same text this Sunday. I know. It's been a while since we've done yeah. that. I, that. Yes. And so that is interesting. And I think next week, we're going to um, take the week off from podcasting, but we're going to try to upload, we're going to upload our sermons so um, people can can hear how differently your brain and my brain works. And maybe between our two brains get like one full sermon, <laughs> a good, good thing. So um, thank you. And, and uh, we just pray that 
we all together would know the reality of resurrection, especially in these days. <laughs>